Well, good morning, dads, and happy Father's Day. What an honor it is for me as a son to, uh, I know my dad's in Atlanta. He turned 80 this year, but happy birthday, Pop. Um, you know, he wasn't a perfect dad, still is not. He and my mom divorced when I was seven. He left, a, he left us and uh, yeah, but he's, he, when I say he left us, he stayed in our life. But things were not the same. And, uh, and through God's story, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ uh, 11 years later. And, um, you know, he, he's understood. Yeah. And, and through that, um, you know, he's grown in his faith like we all are. And he's trying to understand what it means to be a dad that, that not only stays strong in his faith, but he also finishes well. And so he's just, God's given him the time of his life with grandchildren and things like that that he's been able to be a part of. So I realized today that everybody that came in here, you have a father story. And uh, for a lot of us, that story is maybe not the way in which we hear others talk about it or even the way in which we desired it to be. But there's hope in the gospel, right? And then for you dads, like me, what an example that our Heavenly Father has given to us. That as dads, we may not have all the answers. We may not, although He does. Um, but we may not have all the answers. We may not be the perfect dad. But His grace is sufficient for that calling in our life. And so, for me to you this morning, if you're a dad, press in and then press on. Because your sons and your son and daughters, they need you to be the dad. And your wife or the mother of those children needs you to be their dad. All right? Okay, I'm not talking about dads this morning, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll dive in. Jared, thank you for the video projection not working because I was sitting next to Jeremy and he couldn't read the words so I didn't have to hear him sing all morning. (laughs) Ah, boy. Here we go, huh? Let me pray for myself. Oh, boy. Lord, I need you desperately. Spirit of God, take these feeble thoughts and these times where I've just wrestled with what you want me to say. And I pray that I would not disgrace your name in any way today, that I would not take away from the power of your scripture by dumbing it down or making it human, but that, God, I would stay true to the text and I would let your spirit work in the hearts of us this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 6, and then we're going to be going to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. And also, um, some of you are used to me when I preach, I always kind of have notes. And so, if you didn't get a bulletin this morning, you may have not gotten some notes. So, if you don't have notes, raise your hand, and the ushers will get you some notes as well. You're going to need those because we're going to test you on the way out. Well, over the past several months, 
We've covered some pretty challenging topics in 1 Corinthians. What do you think? Yeah, it's been great, hasn't it? Well, um, here's some things. If, if you haven't been at all the uh, Sundays or maybe you've just started coming and visiting with us, here's some of the things that we've been learning in Corinthians. How to confront a fellow believer in their sin. Bringing them before the church if they refuse to repent. Staying single all of your life so you can serve the Lord with more focus. Get married and stay married no matter the cost. Remain single after the divorce, if it happens, for the hope of reconciliation. Be willing to suffer unjustly. Don't take a fellow believer to court even if we've been wronged. Wow, that's only through chapter 6. we got a lot more to go. But that's some hard statements, isn't it? That, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. That's the reality as we walk this journey of faith. Those types of decisions are the decisions we're faced with all the time. Some of you, you've already had to make that decision, whether it's been a marriage or, or whether maybe it's been... Uh, what do you do with being charged unjustly in a, in a partnership, in a business? Or maybe your name's kind of been defiled by this person. And you, you go to that person. You try and, and first point them to the gospel. And they resist a little bit. And it gets a little hard and tension gets a little more. And then you have to bring somebody else with you. That's hard stuff. And so what I thought we would do today is we would just... Take a breath and rest a minute. And we're going to look at the life of Peter. And I think Peter has some lessons for us to learn about decisions that are very hard that you have to make in this faith journey and that you have to live with. But a lot of times we're not prepared for them because we can't see ahead. You see... We've been learning of what it's supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do. But this morning, we're going to talk more about, well, how do we pull it off? If we know we're supposed to do these things, and this is what Paul is encouraging us to do through uh, the book of Corinthians, then how do we do it? How do we stay, stay strong in our faith and finish well? Well, I've chosen the Apostle Peter, as I said earlier, to join a, with us in our time today. And he's going to give us some help on these how-tos. And I, I'm going to call them, let's call them the life lessons of Peter. Let me just kind of go over a couple of reasons why I chose Peter to throw under the bus this morning and not myself. Um, I figured Peter would be better than me, right? Because... You guys don't want to hear all my issues, and you don't want to be bored with my struggles and, and my sins, so, hey, we'll use Peter. Um, Peter can't, can't stop me from doing this either, right? Um, but I chose Peter this morning for a couple of reasons. The first one is, I think many of us, me at the front of the line, I can relate to Peter because he was all over the place in his faith. Another reason is that Peter, he was an ordinary dude, right? Working hard, trying to make a living, trying to make sense of life 
And this Jesus comes in the scene and he's trying to figure it all out. And the whole time he's got business going on. He, he's got a family. He's got things happening. And he's just a hardworking dude. And then third, he had the advantage of looking back over his journey and recording the work of the Lord in his life. Then the fourth reason is he stepped up and he made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. You see, he was faced with the same challenge and challenges that many of us have or will face today. We're going to start Peter's story in John chapter 6. And what we're going to find is we're going to find this situation that he's confronted with that is surrounded by these hard sayings that Jesus has been saying to the multitude. If you have your Bibles, look with me. Beginning, actually, I'm just going to read his response in verses 66, beginning there. As you find that, let me just set the picture for that. Jesus has been speaking in multitudes. He's been saying some really hard things, almost kind of similar to the things that Paul's been saying to us in Corinthians. Very counterintuitive, right, to us as Americans. Very, very counterintuitive to the world and how we think and how we make decisions. And Jesus is just coming out of some words where he said, you know, you need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood. And no doubt that was a, an incredibly hard message for the disciples to hear. And in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After we've heard 1 Corinthians, some of us may have been tempted to say it's too hard. Too much water has been under the bridge. There's no way I can fix this or God can fix it. And so I'm just going to walk away. So Jesus said to the 12, and here it is, do you want to go away as well? And here's our man, Simon Peter. He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There it is. Peter. <laughs> Peter's answered the question. Are you in? Peter said, I'm all in. And this morning, some of you, because of life situations, you've had to be confronted in your faith. And the question that Jesus has asked you is, are you in? And you've had to say, I'm all in. And we've been confronted with these issues in 1 Corinthians. They've been hard. And for me, a couple of times, the Spirit of God has said, are you in? I mean, this is not going to be easy. So if you're going to be in, I need you to be all in. Peter stepped forward and he said that. Can't you kind of go back to certain times in your your Christian journey where you made these statements of, I'm all in. You know, maybe it was a men's retreat. Maybe it was a women's retreat. Maybe it was, you know, uh, a Billy Graham crusade or something. And you go, I'm all in. Not knowing what all in means. <laughs> right? Oops. 
Well, I was all in. I didn't realize, right, I was going to have to put up with this. See, this is why I'm using Peter this morning. Because we're going to fast forward Peter's life about 30 plus years. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's Peter. He's probably about 60 now. He's looking back over this faith journey that God's taken him on. No doubt a lot of water has gone under the bridge. A lot of woodshed moments. Not watershed, probably a few watershed, but more woodshed probably. If you guys don't know what woodshed moments are, you're missing out on life. (laughs) Nothing like getting a switch to your legs out at the woodshed, right? Um, And so Peter had many woodshed moments. Um, And through these moments, right, I mean, he was faced with some challenges in his faith that were dealing with major disappointments. They were dealing with very difficult and hard spiritual decisions that I don't know if I would want to make all the decisions that Peter had to make. And he had to make them where they were counterintuitive to how his audience and those that he hung out with would respond to him. And even in his thinking, we're going to see, right? Peter didn't all the time think counterintuitive. Oftentimes, Peter thought of himself and others and what they thought. But as you read in 1 Peter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verses 3, and we'll read through verse 9. It's 30 years later. Peter's learned some stuff. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, uh, rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is so much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, oh, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So today we're going to learn some lessons from Peter. We're going to learn five lessons, kind of how-tos for us as we leave here today, that these are nothing new. In fact, these are ordained by God. This is how he set it up. These were the tools and means and mechanisms in which he uses for us to stay strong in our faith and to finish well. The first one we're going to look at is the failure in the past does not nullify our purpose in the future. That's on your notes there. Failure in the past does not nullify our purpose in the future. 
We don't live under God's judgment if we confess our sin, if we repent of those sins, and if we receive His grace and forgiveness. How many times did Jesus have to forgive Peter? Yeah. I mean, Peter had the audacity at one point to tell Jesus no. At another point, he told Jesus, be quiet. Quit saying those things. We don't want those things to happen. And then that moment where Jesus pulled him aside and said, Peter, you know what? You're going to deny me. And Peter, with all the determination, you know, that was welled up within him, thought, there's no way I'm going to deny you, Lord Jesus. But he did. How much bigger of a sinner can you get? (laughs) You see, that's why I picked Peter. I think for us, we think that we commit these sins that are so big that God's grace and forgiveness can't forgive us of them and release us of the power of them in our life. You see, God kept forgiving Peter and he kept including him in the work that needed to be done for the kingdom. Peter discovered a couple of things about his sin and about God's response to it. The first thing that Peter discovered was that God will accomplish his plan and purposes in spite of our failures. The second thing Peter discovered was that God is still in control when we sin. It doesn't surprise him at all. It doesn't throw his plan and doesn't throw his sovereignty off. You see, Peter came to see himself as God sees him. Wiped clean and released from the guilt and shame of his past. Peter stood before the Lord, denying him one day, professing him the next. He didn't let his sin keep him out of the game. This morning, Some of you sit there in your seat and you've wrestled with this because you've got sins that are a sin in your life that's held you in bondage. You haven't found God's forgiveness in it. Maybe you've even attempted to to, to ask and confess it and ask for forgiveness and yet there's still this bondage that's in your life over the guilt and shame of that sin. 1 Corinthians, Todd's been telling us, and better yet, the Lord's been saying, right, through Todd, that your past sins is not your scarlet letter. There is grace, there is forgiveness, and there is hope for us. Same for Peter. How many sins would it have taken as I go down the list of Peter's life that would have set him on the sideline and said, you're done, I'm through with you. No, no, Jesus kept coming to Peter and saying, I love you. I forgive you. Follow me. Follow me. If you're struggling this morning with not feeling forgiven, maybe you're working through that shame or guilt, on the back of your notes, I've included 
some action steps for you in dealing with your sin. And uh, as you take it home, maybe these things will, will help you work through um, some uh, deep, deep thoughts on experiencing God's forgiveness because He's offering it to you today. If we'll confess and repent of our sin, Jesus Christ is offering us forgiveness. Before we go to the next one, remember the trials and brokenness that God brings into our lives shape us and they equip us to carry on His work. A broken and forgiven saint can be used for ministering to broken people. I stand as a testimony of that today. That I am broken. I'm undone. And yet God can take a broken vessel and He can use it to come alongside another broken vessel. Who better to teach us this than Peter? So the next time you play the comparison game and I, got, I sin less than them or I sin more than them, there's no way God can forgive me. Remember Peter. He's probably got us all beat. And yet God, Jesus in his ministry, kept including him in the big three. He got in the inner circle. Jesus kept bringing them close to him because he knew that's what Peter needed. He needed to draw near to God and not run from him. Isn't that what we do? We run from our sin. We run from our past. And Jesus is saying, run to me. Come to me. So failure in the past does not nullify our purpose in the future. Number two, our identity must be determined by Christ, not us or others. John 1.12 says, we are children of the King for all that receive him. Those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. In this day and age, isn't the enemy relentless in his deceptive ways of confusing our identity? Messing with the core of who we are? We, we live in a culture and society, this is rampant. The confusion of who we are and our identity. And then we are pulling from everywhere to try and gain that identity. Knowing that that's not who we were created to be. Most of my discussions in discipleship and counseling, it begins with establishing their identity in Christ. I I don't know where we can go as believers if we don't start there. We have to Start with the understanding that we are children of God. You see, Peter, he continually wrestled with this one, right? One minute, he's this experienced fisherman. He's successful. He's got this company. He, he goes out all night. He's going to bring in this big crop of fish. Doesn't catch a lick. I mean, he doesn't even get a bite, right? Zero. Well, he was this professional fisherman. How come those nets are not full? He's done this hundreds of times, right? Because Jesus wanted to teach him something. He wanted to teach him that, Peter, I want you to be a fisher of men while you are a fisher man. I want your identity to be in me 
and not in what you do. I want your identity to come forth from my presence in your life, not from you adding me on to your life. Huge identity shift there. Fathers, what more compelling to us to say we have been giving the stewardship of fathering our children. Act like a dad. We're a child of God. He's given us children. We're the father of those children. That's our identity. Through him, through his power, through what he says and how he instructs us to be a dad. That's how we honor him as we father our children. That's our identity. You see, Jesus assured Peter, it's marvelous, right? How did Peter, yeah, you know, Jesus, I know you want me to be a fisher of men, but I got to be a fisherman because the bills are due. And I got a life to live. And I understand this part of it, but I also need to understand this part. And Jesus is amazing, obviously, incredible. But what does he do? He has this little moment with Peter where the net's empty. And he says, Peter, you're going to follow me. You're going to be fisher of men. And oh, by the way, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Drops the net on the other side of the boat, and it's full of fish. They can't even get it in. Peter goes crazy and can't believe that Jesus would do this. And he's just beside himself, right? And they can't even get all the fish in. And Jesus said, see, Peter, if you'll follow me, if, if you'll give yourself to me, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you, Peter. I'll be there for you. You may, you may not catch fish every time you go out. You may not land the big sail that you're trying to land. But I've got something else for you. And it's going to be more than you've ever thought or imagined. You see, identity is so key for us today. I remember growing up, when my friend's dad, he would always tell him going out the door, hey, never forget, son, who you are. I thought, why did he say that? Because I was going out with him? Maybe. <laughs> oh, boy, that's that Airwood boy. Man, never forget, son, who you are, and, you know, never forget who you're with. But uh, never forget who you are. Think about that a minute. I don't know, maybe your parents said something like that as you were in your teenage years and going out. He said it because he knew that it would remind his son of what he had here at home. The father also knew that it would remind him that he's available at any time, always for his son. That he could find support, love that was unconditional. As being that son, he knew that that dad was a safe place. That that home provided these qualities about it. That if his son remembered who he was, these things would compel his son to desire them more than the things in the world. He knew there were certain privileges and benefits that awaited him when he came home. 
Sounds a lot like the church, don't it? Unconditional love, a safe place. A place that we can share in the benefits and the privileges of believers, called out ones. See, our identity is key. Whenever we're burdened down and frustrated in our faith journey, ask these questions. Are we known more for what we do or whose we are? Are you secure and grateful for who God has created you to be? And do we compare ourselves with others, only hoping to be different? Our identity must be determined by Christ and not us or others. The third thing that we're going to learn from Peter's life, if we're going to stay strong in our faith and finish well through Corinthians and through our life, is that we must depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Look in verse 5 there in 1 Peter. It says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's another lesson that Peter learned over and over from the great denial that he had backing down from the peasant girl to a few months later he was standing at Pentecost full of power and of the Holy Spirit proclaiming Jesus as Messiah and the Spirit of God brought thousands to salvation that day. What changed? The source of His power. That's what changed. You see, when Peter created this power by himself, the fear of man overwhelmed him and defeated him. Remember when he was walking out on the water? The circumstances came up. With his own power, he was determined. He sank. Fear of God. I mean, the fear of man. Overwhelmed and defeated us. Will every time. In our own power. In our own strength. But when Peter surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and he trusted God's word, the fear of God, not the fear of man, empowered him. If you go back to John 6, the question that came back to him was, are you going to leave too? And his response was, where do we go, Jesus? Where do you think we're going to go? I mean, you are the one that have the words of eternal life. Have we not tried enough of the things of the world to know that they are just temporary fixes at best? Second. Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 says this his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. This morning, whose power are you operating from? Are you operating from your power or from the power of the Lord? Are you operating from the power of the Holy Spirit as you are a dad, your mom, your student? Are we allowing Christ to work in us? Or are we so committed 
in our in the way in which we view our own skills and our own wisdom and our own knowledge that we can take care of issues. We don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. Where are you at with that this morning? How are you with God's Word? Are you hiding it in your heart? Are you allowing it to come on the frontlets of your your brain? What happens when that hard decision comes or that challenge to our faith comes? Where do we run first? Do we run to God's Word or do we run to the Word of man? Do we run to the last sermon we heard or, or to the, which is not bad, do we run to the last sermon we heard or do we run to the, the, the preacher or book or do we run to the book? Do we run to God and ask Him what He says before we do anything else? You see, if we're going to stay strong in this faith journey and finish well, we got to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Number four, we need to gaze at God and glance at our circumstances. Look at verses 6 through 9 there in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Since hard decisions and trials are going to come to our life, I think if we've lived any, any time in our faith, we realize that uh, trials will come and hard decisions will come. And so let's, I'm going to talk about a couple of truths about trials. So kind of prepare us for how we're to respond to them. The first kind of truth about the trial is that they're necessary to humble us. To turn our attention from ourselves to God. That's a hard one, huh? I shouldn't have started with that one. I should have put that one at the end. (laughs) But that's the truth, right? The truth is that these trials in our life, they're necessary. From Peter's own voice, right? From his own life. It's just a necessary thing because we're not intended to be here forever. Trials are varied and diverse. They come in different ways, times, and durations. All of us would agree to that, right? And then they prove the genuineness of our faith just as gold when refined by fire is purified and demonstrated to be authentic. You see, enduring faith is fire-tested and gospel-approved. We learn this through the process of our testing, and we learn this in the process of our testing, don't we? You see, Peter often struggled with this one too, whether it was sinking, you know, in the water, or whether it was running to the tomb and getting to the tomb and not finding Jesus there, and questioning even his resurrection and if it was real or not. See, he saw the circumstances that were around him, 
And he, he gazed at those versus glancing at those and gazing at God. You see, all too often, me first, I see my problems and circumstances so much bigger than they really are. And they bring this view of God so small. I can see situations that are insurmountable to me. And the greater they become, it seems like, without doubt, the smaller my view of God gets. I had... It's going to be tough. I had a mother-in-law who demonstrated this with her life to me. In her mid-30s, she was told she had MS. She had four kids, married... About 10 years passed, 8 years passed, and uh, the husband decided he needed to do some things in his life, and so he divorces Sheila's mom, and there's Jean with MS, and it's beginning to progress a little bit, and so she's beginning to walk on crutches and a cane, and pretty soon to go in a wheelchair through the reality of divorce, there's some hard decisions that she has to make in front of her. What is she going to do with these four teenagers that she has? What is she going to do with how is she going to provide for them? What in the world is going to happen? And I watched her as I came into her life as a 15-year-old for a couple of years there. And every time I was around her, it was always about Jesus and His goodness and His grace. It's always about God is present, ever-present help in time of my need. He's been faithful to me this far. He'll continue to carry me on. I came back in to the life of my wife and uh, my mother-in-law about five years later. Um, and through that stretch of five years, she made a huge decision. The kids were grown and getting out of the house. Sheila was there with her and had been taking care of her for, you know, the last seven or eight years. She made a decision. She said, sweetie, you're going you're gonna to go and you're going to make a, you're going to do what God's called you to do. And I'm going to go to a nursing home. And for 20 years... She was in that nursing home room, 401 at Bryan Center Nursing Home in Austell, Georgia. And she never, ever let those circumstances overcome her life. Because her gaze was fixed on this God that loved her and that provided a grace for her in the midst of all of her loss, in the midst of all of her pain and disease. She was able to say, glory be to your name. God took her and he used her in that nursing home 20 years in the same room. She was allowed to lead many to Christ. She she prayed every Saturday. You knew about 3 o'clock. Every preacher in town knew that Gene Wiley was going to be praying for them. In the next four or five hours, she would sit 
paralyzed from her neck down in that wheelchair, looking out a window, praying for those pastors who would stand the next day and preach the Word of God. You see, I had somebody in my life that taught me that we're to gaze at God and glance at our circumstances. This morning, I don't know what's, I don't know what's ahead for me today. I don't know what's ahead for you. I don't know the circumstances that you're going through right now. I can only imagine. I stood here Friday in a funeral, doing a funeral for a 35-year-old mom. Had a five-year-old son, died of cancer. I don't know. Peter didn't know when he stepped up and said, Jesus, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm all in. We're not going to make it if we don't gaze at God and glance at our circumstances, are we? I mean, it's hard enough doing that. Let me close with this. Our inheritance, it awaits us. If we're going to stay strong in our faith, if we're going to finish well, endure to the end, then we got to think more than about just this life, right? We got to believe that God has more for us than just 60, 70, 80 years on this side of heaven. And yet, that's one of the most hardest things for me to do is to think eternally. In fact, I'm so wrapped up in me and my world so much and I can't get out of it. I can't, I can't even fathom what it would be like in heaven sometimes. And yet, that's what God has called us to, this inheritance, right? Peter's talking about, it's this inheritance that's been set for you. John talks about it as, hey, I've gone away. Jesus I've, has gone away to prepare this place for us. And I think what happens is, when we don't think eternally, this is what we think about our life, right? has a beginning here and an end there. And if you're fortunate, maybe you'll get about 60, 70 years out of it. Some, they get 35. Some, they get less than that. And that's how I think all the time. And then... Here's how God wants me to think. This is my life. This is what I'm living for this side of eternity. But this is what God's created me for. He's created me to spend eternity with Him. Temporary here. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our, our struggling through this faith, that it's just temporary. That there's an end. And that this is not our home, but our home our inheritance is waiting for us. 
And that's what we need to be pressing for. That's how we need to be seeing and thinking through the situations we're in.